Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. Two kids wanted to buy a present for their mom, and they've always been hearing moms say, oh kids, I am so tired. I really wish you guys would just give me a break. I need to have peace. I need to have some rest. So the kids felt bad, and they went to buy a stalk of roses for their mom, and uh, they passed the rose to mom. Mom took a look at the rose, and she was very pleased. She was very happy. But at the same time, she saw a note, a ribbon that was stuck to the rose, and the note read like, this. Dear mom, we love you. Please rest in peace. (laughs) Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And maybe you hear that word peace today, and you're like, man, that is a pipe dream. There is no possible way. The word peace feels so far away from my life. The word peace feels like a pipe dream. It feels like a small little kind of voice that's way off in the distance, and it feels as though, boy, that voice cannot ever make it into my my life, my life situation, and my current circumstances right now. So uh, I'm glad you're here today. If that's uh, if if, you, if that's sort of the kind of the heartbeat behind by what you're uh, maybe experiencing right now, I'm really glad you're here, and uh, I'm really glad we're going to get into this. Uh, we've been looking at the Beatitudes, and Jesus said before the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 4, he said this about the kingdom of God, about him himself bringing forth the kingdom of God. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, and it became near because of Jesus and through him and in him and of him. And things started happening. People were being cured of diseases. Those who had long suffered blindness now began to see. The lame were beginning to walk. People long held captive by demonic spirits were being set free, and people were experiencing the joy of having their sins forgiven. Troubled minds were finding peace. And these are what we've called the Beatitudes, uh, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. And these words have leapt off the page since they were first spoken on that Galilean hillside. And now Jesus's words have leapt off the page and found all over the place in our world on posters, greeting cards, emails, and most, most importantly, the scriptures this morning. And so as we look into this, uh, the Beatitudes, may we find them uh, to be uh, even life-giving for us right now in our, wherever we are. The Beatitudes are from Matthew 5. If you uh, have your Bible, you can go there, Matthew chapter 5. And we at this church value the preaching and teaching of the scriptures. It's my prayer that you would find a church. Make sure you find a church that does the same, preaches, teaches the scriptures faithfully. It's on page 683 of that Bible in front of you. It's also going to be on the screen behind me. But you can kind of placeholder there. The Beatitudes is what God often calls blessed. And it's often what the world calls blessed is very different than what God calls blessed. We are part of the vibrant and active kingdom of God, and it's a life that's a result of what God does through Jesus, through us, as we live into the world. And so the doorstep of the Beatitudes is what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapters 5 through 7 of the book of Matthew, and you'll find the Sermon on the Mount, a vision for what life with God, walking with God looks like, and that is Matthew 5 through 7. And this is what kingdom life, this is what it means to live a kingdom life here and now on the ground 
on earth as it is in heaven. And so what happens when the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come to save us from our sin and separated us from God, that God forever dwells with us. And what happens is when God gets a hold of our human heart and begins to change someone and people begin to live them out. Comes in Matthew's gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew's the first gospel uh, written. Um, Excuse me, it's the first gospel of the New Testament. And these are four accounts of Jesus's life. I'm grateful that we have four of those uh, all pointing uh, to the person of Jesus. And Matthew's telling us through eyewitness eyes. Matthew was an eyewitness to Jesus. He was a disciple. He was right there. And uh, he was formerly a tax collector of all occupations. He's writing this gospel through eyewitness eyes. And through real time, he's seeing this and he's got a front row view of what's happening with Jesus. You see, Jesus comes to present a kingdom not of this world and turns everything right side up. The qualities he blesses only seem upside down because our old humanity is upside down and the world is upside down. And when Jesus comes, he brings forth a kingdom that does not look like the world. It doesn't look anything like it. So we essentially, as we read these Beatitudes, right side up are the meek and right side up are the merciful. Right side up are those who are pure in heart, right side up are the peacemakers in an upside down world. It feels upside down because our world is upside down and Jesus becomes to change the world through ordinary disciples, ordinary kingdom people who begin to live into these qualities. Daryl Johnson says it like this, poverty in spirit and mourning and gentleness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, mercy, purity in heart, peacemaking and being persecuted are all the result of the gospel breaking through us. They are consequences of turning around and embracing the reign of Jesus Christ. These are qualities that must be done if we embrace Christ and the gospel first. These are not passive qualities. This is the result of an ongoing encounter, an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus. It's the result of being infused by his grace and the result of the kingdom breaking in and doing its work in us. So if we follow Jesus, we can do some of the, if we can read through some of the Beatitudes, excuse me, and do some self-reflection as to whether such qualities are really reflective in our heart and life. And which is why Jesus says, repent and believe right before the Sermon on the Mount. Do a 180, turn around. The life you were living no longer live. It is not your life anymore. Turn around and follow me. You see the Beatitudes express what life with God, what kingdom life looks like. And these are values of a life that's expressed of a person whose life lives under the reign and the authority of the king. And through these blessings, Jesus announces that they are the ones through whom they will experience the divine life. They are the ones through whom the kingdom will grow and expand. And through the world, though the world seems to trample on these kinds of people, they are the very ones whom Jesus will advance his rule and his reign, people who are just like himself. And Jesus embodied these beatitudes. So let's read Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus is saying, Jesus is not saying let people walk all over you. And he's saying, not saying that blessed are, he's not saying that. He's saying blessed are those who do the hard work of making peace, reconciling things with that person who's come to mind in your life. And he's not saying let sin walk all over you. David lived in a relationship with God in which he trusted God's plan for his life. Jealousy ate Saul's heart and it literally killed him. This guy named David in the Bible who was going to be the king. He was going to be king, and Saul was significantly it was, it was older than him, and David was a, young, was a young kid at this point. He was going to be king, and he, jealousy ate Saul's heart, and it literally, it did, it literally just ate him alive, and that's from the Old Testament. And what circumstance are you in your life currently, whether it be a relationship or situation where there aren't clear-cut answers? Blessed are those not sure of the right next step for making peace. Blessed are those who are peacemakers who do the hard and necessary work of making peace. Could God be tapping you on the shoulder? Is jealousy a part of this too? Kind of unsurping this. Notice here in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are those who are makers of peace. Blessed are those who just don't love the concept of peace, but are makers of it, according to the Beatitudes. And evidently, living a part of the kingdom of God means the idea of making peace. And it doesn't take a lot of thought to know that many of us are in the midst of currently some type of disturbing peace in our relationships, work, conflict, struggle to maintain peace with the in-laws, a marriage that's seen the absence of peace more often than not, a friend where enmity has come between peace and peace has been waned. Jesus here is blessing run-of-the-mill ordinary disciples who believe in him as people who can make peace. The kingdom of God runs through people who are dedicated to the hard work of peacemaking. God's word enjoins this peacemaking, this peacemaking, telling us in Ephesians 4 to eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace and to pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding in Romans 14. So if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all from Romans 12. The concept of peace goes across the scriptures, it spans the Bible, and it's a word that you may have heard before from the Old Testament, and that is shalom. Shalom is a word that spans the Bible, and the heart behind that word is peace, but a greater circle and spread of peace in our world. From a Christian perspective, the idea of shalom is not simply about the absence, not simply about the absence of conflict, and commotion. It has to do with the harmony of the world exactly as God would have it to be. The idea of wholeness and well-being and have a complete whole life, as one author put it. We find in James 3, 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. We find that peacemaking is a sign of the kingdom. Notice it's the, heart, it's the mark of people who have turned around and embraced Jesus and his good news of the kingdom. He is peace himself, Isaiah 9, which is read around Christmas time. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of what? Peace. There is a Sunday that happens a week before Easter. It's called Palm Sunday. And it's the last week of Jesus' life, and it refers to the life of Jesus. And it's a great Old Testament passage that refers to Christ. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be cut off, and he will speak what? Peace 
to the nations. And this is Zechariah 9. The one who announces the gospel is the Prince of Peace who brings peace into being. When we enter into relationship with Jesus, we cannot help but become people who are peace seekers and makers. And right as soon as heaven's great choir comes to, to the shepherds, just ordinary shepherds, amidst a starry night, and these guys just minding their own business, doing their job, Look what's announced here in Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you, and you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. What? Peace to those whom, whom his favor rests. You see, in the land of the day of the Bible, the known world was occupied by the Romans, and they used the word Pax Romana, meaning the peace of Rome. And that peace was dominated through terror and domination. And the empire spread peace on earth, or so they thought, by the point of a sword. And as the Romans continued to conquer the, the surrounding nations, they preserved peace by brutally crushing any hint of rebellion. And their favorite device for punishment was a cross. The most brutal and prolonged way to die, doing so along major roads and intersections in public view for, for everybody to see what the price of rebellion looked like. And the Romans didn't realize they were actually transforming. And when Jesus' day, they didn't realize they were actually transforming the world to reconcile everybody back to God through Jesus on the cross. And through Jesus, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And that's Colossians 1. And Ephesians 2, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them back to God to the cross in which we put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we have access to the Father by one spirit. And through the cross, Jesus gives us the ultimate display of peacemaking. Rather than exercising, exercising vengeance upon his enemies and nailing them to crosses, he absorbs their hatred and violence by humbly giving himself up on the cross. And instead of calling upon legions of angels to avenge his own blood, he chose to pray this, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In a world that is helplessly hell-bent on hostility, Jesus relinquishes his own heavenly tranquility and deliberately steps into the conflict, turning vengeance into reconciliation. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. What's then a peacemaker like? To begin with, he is characterized by honesty, and if there is a problem, he admits it. The prophet Ezekiel warned against such those who act as if all is well when it is not. It says in Ezekiel 13, peace when there is no peace. And according to Ezekiel, they're merely plastering over cracked walls. The plaster obscures the cracks, but when the rain comes, the true state of the walls is revealed and the walls crumble. Jeremiah, employing similar phrasing, put it memorably, they have healed the wound of my people 
lightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace, Jeremiah 6. Ken Hughes says, the peacemaker does not do this. He's painfully honest about the true status of relationships in the world and the society in which he moves and his own personal dealings. He admits failed relationships. He or she admits that he, is, he or she is at odds if others, if it is so. He or she acknowledges tension if, something, if they, others have something against him or her. He or she does not pretend. He or she refuses to say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. We must be honest about where we are in life, in our relationships, and whether peace abounds in our life. And as the angels announced to the good news of Jesus, no glory to God, no peace. No God, no peace. Because what's happened is sin has fractured and separated us, fractured the relationships from our four primary areas, with God, ourselves, creation, and each other. And because of this, we ought to be truly honest about our relationships in those four key areas and really take inventory of our relationships and our relationship to God. All of the great truths in the Bible are about relationships, and you've heard me say that before, with God and each other. Romans 5 reminds us, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we now boast in the hope of the glory of God. The source of all peace with God is only by faith through his son Jesus, and he himself is our peace. We cannot live a peaceful life, nor can we do this on our own strength and our own intuition. It comes through Jesus making ourselves right with God, and that is peace with God. No God, no peace. <clears throat> Yet maybe the filling of our lives with peace seems about as far away as Seattle, Washington is from Newcastle, Pennsylvania. In fact, perhaps the only thing we can think of of our hearts right now is revenge. It's a feeling when you get when revenge is sweet. The feeling like the boss at work wants nothing to do with you and wants everything to do with others. The one who wants to try every possible angle of ridicule and shame and you to stand at the corner of what I should do and how should I get out of this. You get the chance to slay the boss. Maybe you try to find dirt on him or her and you finally get to the point and you've got it ready. Or what about the relationship that's been steeped in tears and years and there's a falling out? And in order to nail the coffin shut, you manipulate the events in such a way to regain control, but the other person finds something and then turns it on you. Maybe you've got the feeling that the relative simply wants nothing to do with you and pushes you away from life and the kids and you've got a chance for payback. Or maybe you've been bullied and lived a life of intimidation or ridicule. You've got the crowd behind you and you've got people and maybe even family telling you that you should avenge and the voices are all screaming the same things and the roar of the crowd is becoming stronger and stronger and you've got all the cards to be dealt. Reminds me of the story. Comes from Judith Vorst's children's book, I'll Fix Anthony. The younger brother complains about the way his older brother Anthony treats him. My brother Anthony can read books now, but he probably won't, be he, won't read, or he won't read any books to me. He plays checkers with Bruce from his school. But when I want to play, he says, go away or I'll clobber you. I let him wear my Snoopy sweatshirt, but he never lets me borrow his sword. Mother says, deep, deep down in his heart, Anthony loves me. Anthony says, deep, deep down in his heart, he thinks I stink. Mother says, deep, deep down in his heart, where he doesn't even know it, Anthony loves me. When I'm six, I'll fix Anthony. 
When I'm six, I'll have the German measles and my dad will take me to the baseball game and Anthony will have to stay home. When I'm six, I'll float, but Anthony will sink to the bottom. I'll dive off the board, but Anthony will change his mind. I'll breathe in and out when I should, but Anthony will only go glug, 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 glug. When I'm six, my teeth will fall out and I'll put them under the bed and the tooth fairy will take them away and leave dimes. Anthony's teeth won't fall out. He'll wiggle, wiggle, wiggle them, but they won't fall out. I might sell him one of my teeth, but I might not. Anthony is chasing me out of the playroom and he says I stink. He says he's going to clobber me. I have to run now, but I won't have to run when I'm six because when I'm six, I'll fix Anthony. Many of us know the feeling of Anthony's brother and the Bible calls it vengeance. And maybe even those feelings are stirred up even in your heart even today. How do we keep going? What is a way forward? You see, Jesus' ministry was consistently in conflict. Even leading up to the events of his passion, there was consistent conflict. Jesus' ministry was conflictual. He was in constant conflict with others, uh, other groups and other people. And yet he brought a certain peace and brought a certain peace to, this, to the relationships and to the situations that he found himself in. And he had this way of doing this. Jesus was in conflict, yet his life shows us that there was a way through it. You see, peacemaking for Christians, in other words, is defined by the life and death of Jesus. The way Jesus does peace shapes the way we also do it. And that way is tough. But it's the necessary way if we are to carry our own cross. You see, when we think we've always had the throne, we have to remind or constantly remind ourselves that we are actually carrying the cross. There cannot be room for two on the throne of our heart. If Jesus occupies our heart, we must bear the cross. It reminds us in Matthew 16, 24, then and now, if anybody should follow me, let him forsake himself, take up his cross and follow me. And far too often we forget that when we bear the cross, we are taking on the instrument of what Jesus died upon and what he did. Rather than exacting vengeance on his enemies and nailing them to crosses, he absorbed their hatred and gives of himself on the cross. Church, we can do a lot of good in peacemaking if we remember that on all of our relationships, it starts with us and it starts with me. Peacemaking starts with me. You and I bear the cross. The peacemaker is one who is willing to relinquish personal comfort and embrace discomfort for the sake of shalom on earth. Jesus blesses the peacemakers. There is a real blessing that comes not in just the idea of peace, but the fact that a maker of peace is one that pursues more than just the absence of conflict. He or she pursues wholeness and well-being. If anyone's braided hair, anyone braided hair before, you know that when you braid hair, there's links in this braid. And you have to link the whole thing together for it to stay together. And so too with the Beatitudes, one link in the chain is uh, built upon the other one. And they are interrelated qualities describe the same person as a part of the kingdom of God. Therefore, peacemakers are poor in spirit. They recognize that they lack peace without God in their hearts and without God that they cannot go through life. Peacemakers are those who mourn. They grieve without God. They grieve, I'm sorry, they grieve in their own sin and their own heart and they mourn over the sinful nature of a world without God. Peacemakers are meek. They resist the temptation to take vengeance into their own hands and let God handle it all. Peacemakers hunger and thirst for righteousness. They crave right relationships and hunger and thirst over the fact that things ought to be made right. 
And they see the world through the lens of the kingdom of God, including the relationships around them. Peacemakers are merciful. They give to others what they do not deserve, pardon and kindness. Can I repeat that again? They give to others what they do not deserve, which is pardon and kindness. Peacemakers are pure in heart. They want to see life in all God's truth and grace, and they simply seek the face of Jesus and chase after the heart of the Father. So what do we do? Man, if you feel like today, it seems like you're sitting there and you're like, I mean, my life feels like the game of battleship. It feels as though my life is simply just a constant web of battles. It doesn't, doesn't seem to be any type of slowing down anytime soon. If we're honest with our relationships, we have to ask ourselves, are we living at peace truly with God ourselves? And is God truly the source of peace in our lives? And then from there, is there peace with God? others. We must be honest about our own heart. And it's kind of easy to like kind of push the peacemaking blame and push it off toward others. Yet church, the kingdom expands through those who make peace. And it's no secret that the newspaper and media and conversations around the disruption of peace, it's everywhere. We're reminded of the disruption of peace every five o'clock news hour, every ding from the news outlets on our phone. We are reminded and constantly reminded of the absence of peace. And then we go to work and then we're reminded of the peace and our lack of peace in our relationships with our bosses. Maybe for you, it's, our, it's your spouse or roommate, classmate, teammate, a friend that we, maybe a friend that you used to have. Maybe family photo albums, postcards saved from years ago and we are confronted with this on a daily basis. Maybe overwhelmed by the idea of how can peace even be made or attained in this world. Question I want to ask us, of all of us, including me, whom among my acquaintances? Question I want to ask us today. Sorry, the microphone went out. If you're listening to this, you probably go, what happened? This is the question I want to ask us today. Whom among my acquaintances could I bear the cross of Christ with and seek to make peace with? And I know it's hard, church, and I know I don't know what they've done. I don't know the hurt, but I do know that we have one life to live, and I do know that there's a Savior who endured 39 lashes and was beaten and scorned and pressed on two beams and two nails and pushed for every breath, and his lungs were asphyxiated, and he was left there all because he left you, loved you, and he didn't want to see you and I perish. And because of that greatest display of forgiveness, could it be that we have the power to forgive others? And could it be that we delay healing when we delay forgiveness? There are real wounds that cut so deep as big as Mount Rushmore. And the only thing that you feel right now is vengeance. And I get it. But even for Jesus at the cross, looking at the very people who bloodied him and tortured him, spit on him and beat him to death, he had the choice. So for us as a local church, you see, the enemy would love for me not to address peacemaking as it pertains to the local church. The enemy would love for me not to do it. Yet, we will only be able to establish shalom throughout the onlooking world to the degree that shalom is modeled within the body of Christ. We must model peacemaking. We must model peacemaking in here for a witness out there. We must be makers of peace. This is life together. Much of the New Testament has to do with making peace with believers 
who are worshiping together. Much of what, what, what's, what's talked about in the New Testament. And the New Testament in Ephesians says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle and be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit to the bond of what? Peace. We are witnesses to peace to the world, yet we must be people who practice peacemaking in here. Disagreements and tensions will inevitably happen, but our willingness to contend for unity forms part of our essential witness to the world. Lord, may your kingdom come through the peacemaking that we ought to strive for and live for at WUAC. Help us to witness to the unity of peace for the witness of our community. Lord, help us to be people who bear the cross and not a spirit of entitlement to our own kingdoms, but to your kingdom. Lord, let us not fight for anything except for the souls of our neighbors. Lord, help us to put down the rumor and gossip mill. Lord, help us not to major in the minors and prioritize your kingdom and mission for your church. You see, two of Jesus' closest followers, and Jesus called, called disciples. They were people who uh, followed him. And one was called Matthew. One was Matthew. One was a tax collector, worked for the government. The other was a, named Simon. He was a part of the anti-government movement. And both people Jesus handpicked for ministry, and both were called to link arms pointing up to heaven, pointing people to heaven. And these were people whom Jesus handpicked for his ministry. You see, what holds us together is our allegiance to Jesus Christ. It far outweighs everything else. Far outweighs everything else. In church, we can do better in peacemaking. So in terms of peace, just a few thoughts. In terms of peace, firstly, establishing peace with God is, is, is truly the source of peace in my life, and my heart, God. Do I know for sure that God is peace and the source of peace through Jesus Christ? Being relationally aware, just having the sense of awareness in our relationships, is there peace that needs to be made? And it goes even greater than the absence of conflict. But having this awareness of being relationally aware in our relationships, praying fervently, praying that God would, would break through in this and we would humble ourselves, have a dedicated humility, that we are people of the cross, reminding ourselves that we are people of the cross. God wants to do a, a healing work in us and through us, and I really believe that. You see, God works in and through ordinary disciples to advance his reign and kingdom in and through us. Give us the courage, God, and the humility to soften our hearts toward the throne, even those whom we don't want to make peace with. Help us to see even those people through your eyes. Lord, let my heart break for what breaks yours. Lord, help me as I draw closer to your heart. Let the things that break your heart break mine. Lord, help me to see the things that I dismiss that break your heart. And if I'm honest, I fall short on this piece. We fail, often fail, to recognize or dismiss those who are hurting and broken. The folks who are walking in darkness and needs around us that in our kingdom bearing and drawing near, we can further the kingdom by entering into their mourning. And that's been our collective prayer as a church through the Beatitudes. And we're saying this, Lord, let my affections and my desires for you be aligned above all else. Have my purpose be for your glory and to see your glory come. And may it begin to shine forth in my life. Amen. Amen.